0: Our sermon text, we are still in Exodus this morning. you want to turn there? Uh, so Exodus chapter 22, we're going to be in uh, verse 18 through chapter 23, verse 9. So if you're looking at your bulletin, we're actually starting at verse 18 this morning. Uh, so once again, we're in this section of Exodus, known as the Book of the Covenant, where um, we're getting these very specific laws that are expounding on the Ten Commandments and expounding really laying out what it means for the Israelites to be a covenant community to be at, to be God's people um, and um, just by way of um, these very specific laws on how we're how we're to treat each other how we're to respond um, in the face of, of wrongdoing so let's uh, let's read together Exodus 22 18 through 23 9 if, if you're able um, would you please stand as respect for God's word? Exodus 22, starting in verse 18 uh, You shall not permit a sorceress to live Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone Shall be devoted to destruction You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering. And it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses, the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. Nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. be to God. Uh, Have your seats. And let me go to the Lord uh, once again for us in prayer. Uh, Father, we do ask that you would, you would change us through your word this morning. Uh, Father, speak to us. Let, let these words um, that I say merely um, show and reveal and magnify what is already in your word. Uh, Father, I don't want to say anything that you, haven't, um, that you haven't already said to us. And so we ask this morning that you would be the one to speak. Um, speak through your word and send your spirit to speak through me, your servant. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so I grew up uh, as a kid going to Ole Miss football games. Um, that was, my dad went to Ole Miss. And so on Saturdays, we drive down, spend time in the Grove beforehand, and and then, you know, watch the game. And then on the way back home, you know, the hour and a half back to Memphis, we're just, you know, breaking down the, the whole game. So if they win, obviously it's great, and we're, you know, talking about all the exciting plays and um, great moments, um, but if they lost, I mean, you spend that whole drive back just going over what could have been different, right? What could have been different for them to, to turn the tide in our favor? Um, and inevitably, the conversation, every time, would turn to the referees, right? And how they were clearly biased for the other team. Um, they missed that flagrant holding penalty. They called that tic-tac um, uh, pass interference, so my earliest memory is really of being of seeing perceived injustice and being irate about um, the injustice that I saw in the world and really my earliest memories of, of sports where this this sort of came in this context of um, kind of getting bent out of shape over um, the officiating and um, still to this day um, have a tendency to get bent out of shape over, um, you know, poor what I what I perceive, I guess, as poor officiating when my teams play. But um, this was one of my first experiences of kind of injustice and, and getting, um, calling, calling out injustice. And, but the reality is that the injustices of sports really are nothing compared to the injustices of real life, right? The injustice of, of having your insurance go up because of an accident that wasn't your fault, right? Or the injustice of a man being killed, not because he's done anything wrong, but um, simply based on the color of his skin. The world is full of injustice everywhere, um, but God brings justice into an unjust world. Um, so, for the last couple of chapters that we've we've been looking at, a lot of our obligations as God's people, what is expected of us in order to create a community of justice and mercy, and and there's no obviously there's no portion of Scripture where God's actions are not in view, but but for the last couple of chapters, God's actions have been more kind of implied than explicitly stated. Um, The emphasis has very much been on on human actions, on what is expected of us. Um, But here in these verses that we're looking at this morning, uh, even as we continue to read about our obligations in pursuing justice, we also see kind of coming more to the forefront God's actions and bringing about justice. Specifically, uh, we read about God's recompense. Just just fancy word meaning God's God's vengeance, His judgment on sin, um, that He pays back evildoers for the wrong that they do. And as we as we uh, look at these laws, there's there's three places where God says that He will intervene, um, and basically that in those moments, the actions of people move into the background as God's justice, God's recompense comes into the spotlight. And the question that gets brought to the front of this passage in those moments is, what does God's perfect justice look like? And how does that help us to be just as well? All right, so that's the question that we're going to be looking at and asking as we we go through this text is, what does God's perfect justice look like? And how does that help us to be just as well? All right, so first off, we see um, in our text this morning that God's judgment his recompense is wrathful. Right, so this set of laws, it begins with three crimes that deserve the death penalty. Okay, Practicing witchcraft, bestiality, and then offering sacrifices to false gods. And what makes each of these practices so so heinous is that each is a way of rejecting God and looking elsewhere for provision and help. Right, okay, so witchcraft or sorcery, this was a... Uh, Involved communicating with the dead in some some way in order to um, in order to manipulate events and even attempting to manipulate God himself. Uh, bestiality um, was used in pagan fertility rituals, so on top of being um, just a violation of the created order, it had strong association with wor- the worship of idols. Um, and finally. Um, the one that may not seem the most heinous, but is clearly meant to be taken the most seriously, is um, that uh, the act of sacrificing to other gods. Um, we should note that this isn't necessarily a rejection of Yahweh. Right? It doesn't um, mean necessarily that they have that they've rejected Yahweh and served, begun to serve other gods entirely. It's more of um, sort of a hedging your bets idea here. That. Um, Basically, they would continue to, to sacrifice to, to Yahweh, to, to God. But also, let's throw some sacrifices in for that Zeus God, just in case he's listening today. And so the problem here is, is that it displays a lack of trust in the one true God. And the penalty for that, that lack of trust, is death. Right? Because, because if that is the end result of not trusting in God anyway right is that if, if we um, refuse to trust in the one who is responsible for providing um, the end result of that will be will be death at the end you know I mean if nothing else um, when all is said and done on the last day and so this this death penalty is simply bringing into the present what's going to be true one day anyway and then so then we see after these three kind of crap capital crimes, um, we see that there's a law about not mistreating or mistreating sojourners, and then verse 22 says, um, "You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child." Um, so, first of all, I just kind of love how imprecise this law is. So, if you think about some of the laws that we've had these last few weeks, um, there have been some really specific stuff, right? If you steal a sheep, you need to do this. If you steal an ox do this. If you steal an ox on Sunday, do this, right? So just very specific, minute um, details in these laws. But here it's literally just, hey, don't do bad things to widows and orphans, Um, right? That God is, God is not laying, this is not just a judicial code, right? It's, it's meant to get to our hearts, address our hearts. So then it goes on. It says, if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless." All right, first thing to notice here is who is acting, right, Is God is acting. He says, I will surely hear their crying. My wrath will burn, I will kill you. Um, that God is not dependent on the justice of people in order to bring about justice. He will act to give justice to the oppressed. And so in the face of this injustice, God responds with justice. He acts as the perfect judge, jury, and executioner. So first thing to notice is that God is the one acting. Second thing to notice is the nature of God's action. His judgment is wrathful. It's in his wrath that he is giving to those um, who oppress widows and orphans the just payment for their actions. As much as we kind of want to sidestep verses like this and uh, maybe don't don't aren't comfortable with God's wrath we can't just dismiss it because we'll miss um, we miss out on part of who God is of his nature right that he is perfectly good holy and just and that means that he hates sin right he hates evil and oppression uh, there is I mean there's like there's a comfort in that right to know that God um, sin and we'll do something about it um but but here specifically um this text is kind of getting at at our motivations and trying and encouraging us um to pursue justice right because if you the idea is if you pursue earthly gain by pushing others down you will eventually lose everything yourself everything that you were trying to gain will be taken away from you as you face the wrath of god and so instead of taking advantage of those who are easy to take advantage of, we are called to help and sacrifice for those who are low in the eyes of the world. Um, so James 1, verse 27 says, A Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows and their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so, so rather than um, oppressing those widows and orphans those who are who are low in the eyes of the world we are to um, to care for them one of the reasons that motivations we have for this is God's wrath that he that he won't let injustice go unpunished that God's wrath burns against the injustices that we commit Um, whether it's times when we um, trample on those who are weak in order to get ahead um, but also, sim- his wrath burns against the injustice of us with simply bucking his authority, rebelling against him. Every sin that we commit is an act of injustice against God. Daily, we choose to live for ourselves rather than taking the route of the cross, making ourselves nothing. And so we see that when we are unjust, God brings justice through his perfect wrath. And second thing uh, that we're seeing in this text is that God's judgment is compassionate. All right, so next up is um, verses 25 through 27. We see this set of laws that are regulating lending practices, and specifically in situations where you're lending to an Israelite who is poor. And um, when we look at the second of these two laws, we see a situation in which a pledge is being offered for a loan. All right, so closest thing that we would have to this today is um, when you buy a house, the bank will do an appraisal on the house that you're buying because they want to make sure that if you stop paying your loan, that they're going to get their money back. They want to make sure that if you stop paying, that they'll be able to sell the house and get, get back the money that they lent you. Uh, and so this idea of a pledge is a similar, um, it served a similar purpose, right? So some sort of pledge is offered so that the lender knows that you're not just going to run off with his money. And in the situation that's presented here, the only thing that this man has to offer as pledge is his cloak, this this sort of outer garment or coat. Um, and so in this situation, it's Taking this pledge from him is prohibited because that's all he has. And taking it would leave him out in the cold. And then the the text continues and we see that the reason for this law comes from the very nature of God himself. Verse 27 says, um, if he cries to me, I will hear for I am compassionate. We've all um, at least heard and probably said at some point in our lives, right, I just want to be heard. Right. This idea of, um, you know, when, when times are hard, you say to a friend, hey, I just I just want to be heard. Uh, when we say that, we never quite mean exactly what we say. Right. We, we want more than just for someone to literally hear the words coming out of our mouth. We want what God promises in the very next line when he says, I am compassionate. Right? All of us long to be to have someone listen and be compassionate right? to listen and to care for us. And God is promising to do more than, than just care in some sort of uh, fuzzy way. He's promising once again to intervene. Right? So notice in verse 27, um, a phrase is repeated that we've already seen in verse 23, when he says, I will hear. Like once again, what is described is, um, what's described is that the oppressed person is crying out to God, Right? Just like we actually read in our call to worship this morning, right? Psalm 3, when he says, God, I cry to you um, because these people are out to get me. The oppressed cries, God hears, and God intervenes. Right? And in verse 23, it tells us um, the end result of God hearing and um, hearing the cries of the oppressed. But then now in verse 27, we are told the reason why God hears their cries. because he's compassionate. That God's heart goes out towards um, the oppressed um, and he intervenes. So we see here this idea that God's wrath and his love are not opposed to each other. They They actually in some sense require one another because if God truly loves us, then he will be angry with anything that hurts us. But kind of more to the point of our text, is that God's justice, his retribution, is both wrathful and compassionate, right? Clearly, God's judgment um, is compassionate towards those who are wronged, right? That if, if someone is sinned against, um, God's, God's wrath goes out against the one who is who's doing the oppression, who is committing the wrong. This is something, um, again, that provides comfort. This is something that when you look at the history of um, kind of the, the African-American church in our country has really grasped really well, right? They saw very clearly, Right? God, slavery is sinful, God hates sin. Jim Crow is sinful, God hates Jim Crow. And fa- they found comfort in that. But there's also, um, just for us as we... Um, in addition to the comfort, there's also this idea that as we pursue justice, um, it's not about we shouldn't do so kind of robotically, all right, unmoved by, uh, by those who are hurting. We exercise justice with compassion for the oppressed and the hurting. We can even take it a step further and say that, um, right, that justice without compassion isn't justice at all. All right. If we if we look at the law, this law one more time, um, this idea of this cloak, right? There's a certain justice, a certain fairness uh, in allowing the money lender to take the man's cloak, right? To say to say, hey, you lent him money, you deserve some way of ensuring that that you'll get paid back, right? But God says, no, 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 don't do it, right? Because that's not compassionate can't leave him with nothing to sleep in at night And so more important than you making sure that your rights aren't infringed is for you to show compassion to your neighbor um, It's very it's actually reminiscent of first Corinthians, um, chapter six, verse seven, which um, you can turn there, but I'll, I'll read it for us. Uh, so here, Paul is rebuking the Corinthians, if you remember, for for taking one another um, to court, basically, and filing believers, filing lawsuits against believers. And Paul is going on about how, uh, you know, you're the body of Christ. Um, settle it among yourselves. Don't take one another to court. Um, and then in verse seven, he says to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you why not rather suffer wrong why not rather be defrauded right so the kind of the modern day version of taking a pledge would be this idea of taking them to court if you lend someone something and they don't pay you back how do you get it back you you take them to court And paul here is saying and in our text this morning is saying that there are times when it is actually more just to allow your rights to be infringed upon and at all times, it is compassion that needs to drive our sense of justice. That justice that is um, divorced from compassion isn't really justice at all. And we see this clearly right, in, in God's compassion and His, his justice towards us. And, and not just towards those who, who have been hurt. But even towards those who are doing, who are committing the injustice, right? So, um, if we go, if we go to the cross and and we and look at Jesus on the cross and what he says as he's nailed there, right? As 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 sinful men nail him to this tree, he says, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." These men who have just committed the greatest injustice in all of history. By putting the innocent Son of God to death, in that very moment Jesus is filled with compassion for them. Right? These men who have just nailed him to the cross. And it's that compassion is what is what led him to the cross in the first place. It's that compassion that prompts him to extend grace to you and me. Even though we rarely hesitate um, to, to trample over those weaker than us, to 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 assert our rights and um, a Attempts to get ahead even when it hurts others. Um, and so, so we see that even when we are unjust, God brings justice through his perfect compassion. And finally, um, this morning in our text, we see that God's judgment is impartial. And so when we get to chapter 23, we have a series of laws that are dealing with justice in a court case scenario. Um, These are prohibitions on things that would keep justice from being done in a courtroom or that that represent a lack of justice in the court. Um, In other words, they're kind of really just expounding on the ninth commandment and the importance of not bearing false witness. Uh, A lot of these are pretty straightforward. Verse one, don't spread false reports. Don't join up with someone who's who's maliciously just out to get someone else. Uh, Verse two, don't join up with the many to do evil. Right? The temptation to, um, sur- to kind of just join up and do what everyone else is doing is not a temptation that's limited to high schoolers. Um, every one of us would rather be be liked than be just. Or at least have that temptation. Um, then verse 3 um, gets at the temptation to, to side with a poor person purely because they're poor. Right? If, so basically the idea is if you uphold their lawsuit, it should be because their lawsuit is just, not just because they're poor. And we, we see the flip side of this a couple verses later, as it says not to right, not to deny justice to the poor um, because of their poverty. Right. So our justice should be impartial, not based on someone's someone's wealth or social status. And that's the, I really want to kind of focus in on that word. Right. That we see, um, which is in verse um, that we see here this idea of partial being partial or impartial is kind of really summarizes all of these laws in verses one through nine. Um, that word is that is kind of the theme here that justice that we are called to is impartial, justice does not show favoritism based on wealth, social status, or who you happen um, to like or dislike, who you happen to have a grudge against. Um, in some ways, it's a pretty elementary fact, right? This kind of justice 101 is, is um, the idea of fairness. It's the first idea of justice that we learn. Parents, right, how often do you hear, that's not fair, right, when you lay down the law with your kids? We understand easily that it's unjust for people to receive differently, um, even, if, even though they have not acted differently, right? So to receive, people should receive the same punishment for breaking the same rules. We understand that it's unjust, in other words, for those in authority to pick favorites, show them special treatment. And so kind of the first call this text has for us is to think about the places where you wield power or influence, some form of authority. It could be like official authority in your job that you see over people or simply the influence that you have and, and how you wield that. Where are you showing favoritism to someone based on their connections, their wealth, their likability, um, rather than um, their actions, rather than their character, skill, being qualified for the work. God, as perfect judge, calls us to be impartial and displays this impartiality himself. And we see this throughout scripture. Romans 2, verse 11 says God shows no partiality. Um, Colossians 3, verse 25 Uh, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. And then in our text this morning, um, verse 7 says, Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. So here again in verse 7, we see this idea that even if we are unjust, God will see to it that justice is done. Human judges um, can be wicked and unjust. They might acquit the guilty because of wealth or social status or um, any number of other things. But but God promises He won't. Right? That He will. He will not acquit the wicked. He will see justice done. He wants evil called to account, regardless of who commits it. God will ensure that sin is paid for. Um, rich, poor, black, white, Asian, Latino. It doesn't matter. Everyone. Will one day stand before God to face judgment, and so again, here's here's there's some comfort in this. If you long for justice, one day you'll get it. Um, that every wrong done will eventually be punished, um, right? And there is comfort in that. That even though human judges may err, we still don't need to take justice into our own hands. Um, in it, and in, in, in by so doing, actually pervert justice. Um, we can we can show display trust. Um, um, in God, knowing that justice is, is in his hands. Right? It doesn't mean that we, that we neglect the call to, to love justice, do mercy, but um, still it just means that we don't have to go um, outside of God's will in this sort of um, ends justify the means attempt to, to seize justice at all costs. But, but this is also a sword that cuts both ways, right? Because if we cry out for justice, we know that it will be done. But all of us have places where if we if we really understood it, if we were really honest, we we don't actually want justice done, right? Because one day, everyone will stand before God as judge. And every, on that day, everyone will receive the same verdict, right? Guilty. Um, because as we've said, every one of us has committed injustice and so what it when we think about god's justice and being impartial what it means is that he he does not acquit the guilt the guilty he'll ensure that sin is paid for but there he also provides the same way of escape for everyone rich or poor no matter what and it's to throw ourselves upon his mercy and appeal to the blood of christ right that's what it means for god to be impartial and to bring justice into an unjust world is that is that he will um see that sin is paid for I'll, I'll close with this story i've so i've only actually been to a trial like kind of a courtroom trial setting once in my life and um technically it was a sentencing hearing for a friend um so i had a friend who before he came to christ had he had spent time in prison and um uh, and then when he got out he became a believer and then at later on actually went through another season of wandering from the Lord um, in which, um, you know, just kind of was, he was wandering from Christ and and then kind of what pulled him out of it. What God used was that he got pulled over and arrested um, for possession of a firearm, which if you have a record is illegal. And um, so he got pulled over and arrested. And at that time, Tennessee had a three strikes rule. And so, so on your third offense, of, I think, you know, some certain caliber, uh, there was a minute carried a minimum sentence of, I think, 12 years. And, and I st- so this was his third offense. And I still remember at the hearing, the judge saying, um, I wish I could give you less, but the law is very clear on what I have to do. Um, and just, I, I remember this judge just exuding compassion for my friend, seeing, seeing a young man who had, um, made a, really big mistake right had messed up um but but was broken about it but this so this judge had compassion but he was also just and it was his responsibility to uphold the law um and and carry out what the law demanded and then this he serves as this little picture of what god is like as our judge that he is he's full of compassion for those who are guilty and for those who are oppressed but he is just as well and justice demands satisfaction. But then God does what this judge could not do. He takes our place. And this is what it means for, for God to be just in an unjust world is that he will not allow sin to go unpunished, but that for those who are willing to fall on his mercy, he will bear the punishment himself. God goes beyond what justice demands in order to be a blessing to us. And in so doing, provides us as well with with the greatest motivation possible for doing the same, for going beyond what justice demands, in order to be a blessing to others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we 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 praise you for your justice. You are you are perfectly just um, in all the ways that we are we are sinful, that we um we are we are unjust, that we. Um, strive for, for what is in our best interest um, so, so easily. Um, Father, that is what comes naturally to us. But what comes naturally to you is to be just and to be compassionate and, and wrathful and impartial in your justice. And we, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. We ask that you would, you would make us just, enable us to pursue um, justice for our neighbor, to, um, to act in a way that is in accord with, um, with your character and your nature. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.